We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Eric Doctors is a ceramics artist. Before this interview, we had never met, and I really didn't know much about him. What a wonderful surprise to find that we had a lot in common. We start our conversation with Eric providing some background on the beginnings of his creativity. My family is originally from the Boston area. That family originally was in the garment industry, and everyone was a sewer. You know, back in the day in the 20s, and everyone had a sewing machine. All the men, they all worked in, in factories, you know, as cutters. And so when I was a kid, there was, a, there was some sort of carryover. And in our family, um, my mother and my sister and I did a lot of needle kind of kind of thing. So making quilts, needle pointing, um, knitting, uh, crocheting, macrame, everything like fibery. <laughs> and then my mom took a ceramics class. She brought home stuff. I said, that looks really cool. I want to try that. And so I, about 13 or 14, I went and took a class and the guy that was doing it, he showed how to do it on the wheel. And I thought, oh, I think I could do that. And I sat down and I just did it. I just, I just, no one really had to teach me. I just sat down and just started doing it. It was, it just came naturally to you. Yeah, it just happened. And I was, I was, I caught the bug and that was it. I even know, I still know the guy that was my teacher. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, Eric Jensen. He's a ceramic artist <laughs> in Chicago and has been active for a long time. So our paths just kept crossing throughout my life. But yeah, he, he kicked me off. He was a young artist and just out of school and teaching there and yeah got me started nice now that activity was around using the wheel is that correct yeah it was a wheel throwing class a wheel throwing class okay now was there something specific about wheel throwing that it turned you on or do you would it have been any sort of creativity creative activity well i was turned on by pretty much any creative activity but that one in particular you know, there's this magic thing that happens. Like you take a lump of clay, you throw it on the wheel and you put your hands in some water on it. And it goes from just being this lump to being, you know, like a cup or a bowl or about like you can, like in a matter of minutes, you've created something that has, um, you know, some utility, some visual kind of expression. I just, it just felt like, wow, this is, it felt like magic. Like I could just, make stuff. I've never done it. And I'm um, a friend of mine, my friend, Paul Schultz, he is part of the Lincoln Square Pottery Studio. Are you familiar with that? And uh, he's always trying to get me to be part of it and try it out. So at some point I will, but it does sound very interesting. And it sounds interesting. I mean, obviously I'm a painter, so I'm used to using my hands to create things. But I'm using a, a brush and there's something about the idea of touching and this thing spinning in your hands. And it just looks like it would be a very interesting experience. It's very direct and it's, it's physical. Your hands just go where they need to go. And all of a sudden you have something 
that has um, some some connection. You know, it has, has connection. Pottery has been around for tens of thousands of years, and yep. you know, because it comes out of a utilitarian and mm. ritual kind of background. But there's something just people just picked up piles of dirt and just started making stuff. When you're doing a project, do you plan it out ahead of time, or is it something where you throw the clay on and you just sort of see where things go? Like how much of it is planned out and strategized and how much of it is, let's see what happens. It's a bit of a combo. So I have, I think I dream a lot in um, art possibilities, waking and, and sleeping dreams. So it's like a constant film of ideas streaming mm. through my brain. And I, I, so I'll get inspired by something that I see in my mind, like a, like a vessel or um, an abstract kind of sculpture. And I'll also get stimulated by things I see out in the world, other people's art or nature, architecture, anything. And so in my mind, I say, oh, that's interesting. What do I want to grab onto out of that? Is there some sort of something? What's speaking to me in that? What do I yeah. want to bring into being? But then when I go to make, it becomes very intuitive. Mm -hmm. So I, ha I start with an idea like, oh, okay, maybe this pattern or this shape or this combination or, you know, and then I'll, I'll start, I'll pick an entry point. But as I make, it becomes more intuitive, you know, more playful, experimenting. Okay. Now, do you write down what you're seeing in your dreams so that you can remember it or do you just remember it? Not so much. Everyone's, I'm a really bad journaler, but every once in a while I, I think, oh, I should be journaling or taking down yeah. things. I have all sorts of journals with random notes that are, that are all like a quarter full. Okay. But does that mean that you remember what was in your dreams? Uh, sometimes. Okay. You know, but I, it, it doesn't work for the, for me that way. It just, um, the creative it, creativity is like a flow thing for me. I just need to, once I'm in the studio, I just go and go and go and go and, and allow myself to get carried along. It's, it's hard to describe. I think it's hard to verbalize it. It just, it happens for me. It always happens. Okay. Makes sense to me. Now I know that I dream sometimes of painting ideas, um, oftentimes abstract painting ideas. I'm not an abstract painter. And in my dreams, this stuff is incredible. And I can never really remember it. I usually remember it when I first wake up, but then it dissipates. And I feel like the stuff that I can create in my dreams is exceptional, like better than anything that I create in the real world. And so what that means to me is that my brain has this capacity to create all of this amazing stuff. Um, and so I'm always trying to, in my waking moments, try, how do I access that stuff? Because it's in there. How do I access it when I'm awake? Yeah, I, I, it's similar for me. Uh, I feel like there's um, tends to be residual things that just keep showing up. The same kind of formal shapes or pat, like I have this relationship that with my for my whole life um, with mathematics and geometry and it just pattern and design elements just keep coming back over and over and over and at this point I just respect that it's there and I say okay where's the energy for that and I just try it I don't feel that I'm going to able to make be able to make those fabulous things I see in my dreams exactly the way that I see them 
but yep. I feel there's something in just trying to try, you know, just like, oh, well, let's play with that. That just keeps showing up. I'm, there's something in that. Do you have a background in mathematics? I do. So my undergrad is, of all things, in ceramics and math. My oh. degree is officially in visual arts, but I was, I was like two classes shy of having a full degree in math. Wow. And, and I leveraged the math to have a professional life <laughs> to support the ceramic life. When did math become something that you were interested in? Was that always something when you were a kid? Yeah, so my dad was an engineer. Okay. He worked for NASA, early NASA. He used to teach me algebra and calculus when I was about five or six. Okay. Uh, and so I, I was, math was just something that naturally came to me. I just always, always did it. And I got to school and I was just still curious about it. So my degree, I don't know if you know this, but my degree is in engineering. So I have a very, obviously a strong background in math. What's interesting about math for me is, uh, and th this is interesting that, you know, math and ceramics, because you mentioned like geometry, and I always felt that geometry was very intuitive. When I remember you take geom honors geometry freshman year in high school. And I remember I thought it was obvious. Like I almost was thinking, how is this even a class? Like all of this seems so obvious to me. And I remember there were kids struggling and I'm like, like, how are you struggling with this? Like it all just made complete sense to me. But when you look at um, things such as um, the times tables that you learn in fifth grade, like I struggled with that because it didn't have any spatial relevance to me. It was just memorization of, of information. And I couldn't, I couldn't memorize it. Like for instance, if someone gives me a phone number, I can't, I can't remember it because it doesn't have any, it has no meaning. It's just like random numbers. And so I struggled with math, you know, early math. And then when it got to more advanced math, like geometry and especially calculus, I thought calculus was brilliant and I got all A's. I thought it was really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it certainly, I could understand it very, very easily. I can see how the two would go together for you, mathematics and the, you know, the process of making these ceramic items. Absolutely. So I think what I started figuring out probably later in high school and then into college was math was a language. It's a universal language. And understanding as a language, like vocabulary and syntax and telling stories, in looking at it that way, and less about getting the right answer to a problem, made it a really create. It was like creative writing to me, and and that's how I learned it in college. And what and so there was a lot of overlap for me between art and math. I felt like they lived in the same arena in my brain and how I thought about you know what I was curious about. And I I ended up being a teaching assistant in both. Uh, departments and I used to have I used to have a chalkboard in the ceramic studio and I have all the students that I was TA and tutoring come to the ceramic studio and touch clay while we talked about where they were struggling with their passing their advanced algebra class or whatever it, was. was that helpful to them 
Oh, they loved it. Yeah, it was. It was like because it got because it took it from they had all been conditioned to getting the right answer versus thinking of it as like, oh, I'm just learning a different way of thinking. Yeah, you know that I can I can organize the world or understand the world through the lens of mathematics. You know, so I used to get to tell stories. I used to get you know like let's let's just turn it into something different. When did you? When did you make that realization that mathematics is a language? It sounds like that shifted your viewpoint on mathematics. Uh, it, it was. It started later in high school. I had a really good friend that was also an artist and a math person, and he and I would talk a lot about this stuff and just explore ideas and um, read and just have conversation. And it's interesting because now he's um, he's a math professor. Do you think the fact that you were exposed to math um, so early made you more, because a lot of kids are just intimidated by mathematics. Um, it sounds like it was because your dad was an engineer, he exposed it to you. Do you think that that was helpful in that you just weren't intimidated by it? It was something that was in the home? Yeah, I think it made a big difference. Um, yeah. I think it was also, I had a lot of really good um, teachers that cultivated that as well. Uh, so I was I was a mathlete in high school, <laughs> you know, and I used to stay after school do mathy things. Uh, so that was because <laughs> it was fun. It was a fun and engaging thing to do. Yeah, I want to share with you a where things shifted for me with math. When I so I always thought of math as something that was kind of just invented. Like I didn't think that it had a real use. I knew that you have your times tables and so you can arrange, you know, three eggs by three eggs. And so three times three is nine and that's how many eggs that you have. Um, and then we would do algebra word problems that it never had real relevance to me or um, it wasn't until I took physics. And when I took, I assume you took physics. Okay. Oh, yeah. And when I took physics and that's when I realized that math is actually the language of the universe, the way the planets move, the way that atoms move, the way that rockets move, um, everything, all of this stuff is mechanics, which it can all be explained, not estimated. It's not just an estimate or an approximate. It's actually 100% accurate with mathematics. I did not realize that until I was a freshman in high school. Um, which sounds a bit crazy, but I suppose some people never make that realization at all. And that's when I was like, oh, like math is actually the language of the universe. Yeah, that's how I look at it. And it's got poetry in it and, you know, and, and emotion in it too. So it's, it isn't, it's not um, detached. It's very human. And which is, you know, super interesting to me as well. Like there's something about, the use of mathematics, like if you look at Islamic art, for instance, where they have non-representational art, but they use pattern. Those patterns, the way they repeat, they have this certain kind of expressiveness that has an emotional content to it. You can make so, you can make something using a pattern, really tight, and, you know, and like dense, and it feels that way. Or you can have it really be open and lyrical you know, and fluid, and, you know, it feels like water or the sky, like, you can evoke these things, you know, and mathematics has that in it. It, it has so many things in it for me, 
um, you know, like the whole idea of what a golden section is, you know, like this, this, um, this idea of proportionality showing up everywhere in nature. Yeah, it shows up in all this architecture. It shows up yeah. like in a Nautilus shell. The same proportion shows up in the Nautilus shell as shows up in the Great Pyramids, as shows up, you know, in the Parthenon and in Da Vinci's uh, drawings. You know, it just shows up everywhere. The, you know, the Gothic cathedrals. It just keeps showing up everywhere. The same proportion everywhere. So who knew the two of us have a background in math and science? Well, math, you, me, more science, and we're both creative individuals. Did you, you were doing something before you were a ceramic artist full-time. You had a career. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what that was? Sure. So when I got out of school, I had this degree in art and math, and I became a, an actuarial consultant. It requires that you pass all these exams and get certified, and it worked out. I ended up being able to have that work to support myself as an artist <laughs> for a long time. And so I did, I was a consulting actuary for a couple different companies over a 26 year period. And along the way, I got really interested in how people learn and develop because, because I'd come in through the back door in this profession. Yeah. And I was able to shift gears and end up essentially leading the function that helps people learn how to become actuaries. I became a learning and what's called a learning and development professional. And I also convinced the company I worked for to let me work three days a week so I could go do my studio art. I got deeper and deeper in, in interest in how people learn. And so I made a full conversion over to that field and went and got a master's in learning and organizational change. But the whole time I kept the, my hand in the creative pie, I got really curious about how the connection between people and organizations you know, what works for people, what works for organizations. And that it was very, my orientation to it was very creative. Uh, so I, I tended not to be a go by the book kind of person on those things. And I end up leading the, the efforts to figure out how people can best thrive in organizations and do what they want. And the organization gets the best out of their people. And I did a lot of kind of creative approaches to, to doing that, that were very non-standard. So I definitely brought an artist perspective. So it sounds like you were not afraid or you were very open or eager to look at things in a fresh way, a new way. You weren't always following the rules. You weren't always necessarily doing what you were told. I don't mean that in like a rebellious way, but you were looking for new ways. Was that because you were looking ways to looking for ways to make what you were doing more interesting for yourself? Certainly was a part of it. Like I was uh, relentlessly curious about things and easily bored all the mm. time. So looking for like connections, uh, new ways of thinking about things. Like I wanted to, I felt dissatisfied with what I saw and experienced as an employee and for these businesses. And I felt that they were missing important things that they, and I was seeing it in a new way. And so I felt like, Oh, it made me very, I was very brave. Certainly. I, I did not do the status quo things at all. And I was yep. in trouble. I got in trouble a lot. Okay. Um, 
sometimes good, sometimes bad. Yeah. But I was an innovator. I was really innovative about all this. Uh, and I think it was driven by my creativity and curiosity. Yeah. What were you like as a little, as a kid in like elementary school? Well, like were you a, a well-behaved kid? Yeah, for the most part. Um, okay. You know, I was high, very, very high energy always. Okay. And pretty high, like pretty positive. Like I, I was a happy kid for sure. Okay. The reason why I ask that is those attributes of being curious and e easily bored um, makes me think of a young kid who might be easily distracted, um, like in, in, you know, potentially disruptive in um, like elementary school, like, you know, as young boys or as I was. Um, but it sounds like that was not, uh, you were able to direct that in a non-distractive, um, disruptive way. Yeah, I had a couple. I had some moments where um, I did I did bad things, but I never got caught because I was really creative about how I did it. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, that's it. Doesn't count if you're not. Doesn't count if you don't get caught. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I know that you have a show right now at Gallery Studio um, O in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago, and can you tell me about the show and what's in it? Sure. So it's work that I've been doing over the last couple of years uh, and explores a couple different things that have been on my mind. I had this idea a while ago about creating these vessels, these containers and other objects that they look, they look like they could have been dug up a thousand years from now. From and now. They, from now. Like they, they are artifacts of now. And but they've been weathered and they have elements in them that point to ritual or point to things that were going on now, but they're, they're coded in a sense. They're, so, it, so some of them I, I call temples of creative fire because they, they, they are intended to represent what needed to be preserved from now is this, what we are losing touch with is our creative fire. Like it's, and that there was a, a need to remember and preserve that so we don't lose touch with it. Uh, others of them um, are what I call alchemy of the heart, which have to do, you know, it's more my response to what I see going on in the culture where we're all so angry or a lot of people are angry at each other or about things they go around each other or talk past each other or scream at each other. And I thought that's not really going to get anything to change. But really the path is um, through the heart. Like that's what we have in common. It's like, how do we, how do we take that anger and convert it into something like love or caring or something like that? So I, I made a whole series of pieces to explore through an alchemy kind of lens. And I, I referenced um, alchemy imagery from the 16th century. Mm. 17th century, some drawings and other kinds of things that were all about alchemy, because uh, I feel like that's a that's a magic point or a play, you know, like an opportunity space that I, I wanted to point towards. And then the last batch of work that I've been doing is what I'm calling theater of change, because I feel like this is a moment of change, um, you know, where institutions, structures, 
belief systems are starting to fall away and, and transmute into other things. And I'm particularly interested in what's going around race, gender, sexual orientation, class structures. And so I, I've been using these chess pieces and hearts with wings to show that there is forces going out and forces coming in. And I created these kinds of stages where there are at least almost like a passion play <laughs> playing out. Like, okay, this, this is what's happening. Who knew you could, you could say all that with ceramics? <laughs> right? You can say a lot with ceramics. It's, it's, it's endless. Apparently you can. And your show is at Gallery Studio O in Ravenswood until uh, when? July 18th. Okay, and yeah. it's 2020, so, so people know. And people could be listening to this 100 years from now. Or digging up the piece 1,000 years from now and going, oh, that was in that show. Well, what do you have to say to people that are listening to this who maybe are involved in mathematics and they're not using the creative artistic part of their minds. What would you say to someone about accessing that in terms of how to do it and why it's important? People have said to me many times, oh, I'm not creative. I couldn't do what you could do. Uh, and I always say, everyone's creative. Just living is creative. So, and just to give it a try, just get your hands in something, touch something, paint something, um, write something, it'll, It'll take you a place you, you that'll be exciting and interesting. Once you try, you might be really surprised by what you find that comes out of you. That's great advice. I always I find it interesting that a lot of people say that um, that I'm not creative, that I couldn't uh, draw a stick figure. But then, if you look at how they are in business with relationships with people, and they excel in understanding the nut dynamics you know, between people. I feel like that's the same part of your brain. It's just using it in a different way. Because, you know, dealing with people is all about understanding nuance, about um, seeing the differences and the, the differences between people and the relationships of between different things, different ideas, different personalities. And for me, that type of stuff is the same thing when I'm creating a painting. I'm always looking at, it's all about relationships. So I think that people are closer to being creative um, than they probably, oftentimes they probably realize. Yeah, they, I think they create an artificial distinction because being human and living is creative. Yeah. And it, by definition. And there's, I think there's an artificial separation. You know, when, when someone creates an object or something that's named as creative, it gets a certain kind of uh, distinction from just what people just, they don't think of the things that you described as being creative, but they are. They're accessing all those same parts of themselves that we access as artists in order to, you know, just to live. Well, this was wonderful. Um, we had obviously never met, we've never met each other before. We had a brief conversation on the phone before we um, had this talk. And you never know. I had no idea about your mathematics background. So I'm so glad that you and I were able to talk today and get to, get to know each other. This was a wonderful conversation. Thanks. Yeah, it was really fun. I really appreciate it, Rick. Um, I don't usually get to talk about myself. So <laughs> it's, it's sort of funny. Uh, you asked really great questions. Thank you. Thank you.
My name is Ricky McGuckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 